0: Delivering on gender equity is key to solving the climate crisis and delivering access to good education is one way. Um, Investing in girls' education and their skills development is, is probably one of the most effective climate actions you can take.
1: Hello and welcome to the Hub Culture Chronicles, our ongoing discussion about everything future Joining us this week for a great conversation focused on International Women's Day are four women who are part of hub culture and leaders in the international investing community. So welcome to Karine Demayer, Sophia Swire, Marika Svardstrom, and Charmaine Shin. How are you all today? Very well. (laughs) Welcome. We're coming (laughs) at you from all over the world. Um, Why don't we start with some introductions, beginning with Karine, who is an old friend who I met many years ago in Davos.
2: Absolutely. Well, we actually met in New York, you may not remember, at the Clinton Global Initiative. Beverly Cami introduced us, and that's how I came to visit you in Paris when you were there for, for COP. And that's when I started, you know, to be a knowledge broker for HUB. And I'm just so excited to be part of every year of the Ice House incredible events. And, um, well, as you know, we are also Burning Man friends, thankful to you. And you know that I've always been passionate about female leadership. You know, I mean, I went to women's college, I studied women's studies at Harvard. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I've always been trying to pursue women, you know, women's careers and women's opportunities. I worked for TED Women for five years. And since two years, I'm part of the global women in technology movement, of which I'm the CCO. And I'm an s- investor in, in companies actually, you know, founded or female led.
1: Thanks, Karim. Sophia?
0: Hello, Stan. Um, I think we probably met at the World Economic Forum, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if it wasn't my dear friend, Kareen who introduced us a few years ago. Am I right, Karim?
2: Yes, you did. It's true. And I
1: remember our first really in-depth discussion was in London when you told me about a new project you were working on, which was a fund focused around leadership and women investing, and it was going to be called something like JEDI. Am I right?
0: Yes, you're absolutely spot on. Um, JEDI, uh, as in gender equity, um, gender equity diversity investments is a, a new uh, gender lens advisory and investment platform, not yet a fund. And we're working at the nexus of gender, climate and finance. Um, and for me, that represents a, um, a sort of full circle return to finance after um, starting off uh, way back when at uh, Climate Benson, uh, the biggest investment bank of the time, a long time ago. And then uh, after a 25 plus year career in social enterprise, I've come back to finance. And the aim is to accelerate female-led tech-enabled solutions for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, especially climate action, in order to do that and do it to the best of our combined ability, I've teamed up with two absolutely fabulous engineers and mathematicians who happen to be of the female persuasion as well, and they can introduce themselves.
1: And that leads us right over to Marika. Marika, a little bit about you.
3: Yes, hi, Stan. We haven't met before. So I am um, well, a, woman, a woman in tech. I'm trained as an engineer in Sweden originally, and then I spent most of my career abroad. Uh, I started off as a consultant in environmental management in Hong Kong for a few years and when I returned to Europe I did an MBA and have since then, uh, which is quite a while ago now, primarily worked as an investor in, in developing tech companies and investing in tech companies around Europe.
1: Welcome to The Chronicles. And Charmaine?
4: Yes, I understand. Um Funny enough, Marika and I, you know, both caught on quite well because uh, we met each other uh, in our previous job um, uh, at an investment fund. So my background was obviously in investments. I've, I've started off uh, investing in, in uh, late stage companies and more recently in technology companies. So Marika and I got talking about, you know, climate uh, technology, got talking about sustainability and investments. And that's how we we also got talking to, to Sophia uh, and, and we, we put on the sort of our passion together for, for, for gender equality. And, and that's how the JEDI um, sort of, uh, investment platform idea is coming along.
1: Thank you all for the introductions for our listeners. It's pretty great because with technology, we can all be spread around the world and be able to have a kind of joint conversation like this. And I think it reflects the power of collaboration and the way that technology is enabling us to be able to collaborate. And we all know that in some ways, these support networks like JEDI have really accelerated during the pandemic. Sophia, I'm I'm curious, how is it evolving and what are the impacts you are seeing from being part of this community, having helped to kind of spark it? And how would you think that you could advise women on setting up or supporting similar such networks?
0: Well, the Jedi Network, which is now a very active and passionately engaged community of over 170 change makers and futurists and scientists and mathematicians and impact uh, pioneers, really came about um, in a way by accident. Um, a year ago, we had a pre-launch event for uh, for the Jedi investment uh, platform after Davos, after the World Economic Forum. We had 90 change makers, investors, and, and also female founders turn up for a sort of Davos decompression type weekend. Um, and at the end of it, well, I used I used WhatsApp in order to coordinate um, lots of people doing lots of different complimentary things. And at the end of it, I sent a message out saying, um, so long chaps, see you in a year. And I'm gonna I'm gonna close down the uh, WhatsApp group. And there was an out- uproar and an outcry. No, no, we're Jedi's, please don't close us down. And so it sort of happened by accident. Um, And then of course, the pandemic was hot on the heels of that weekend. Um, And it's really become a sort of resource as one of many, of course, um, for people to feel that they have um, community, for people to share ideas and opportunities and events and books and articles. So in a way, it sort of created the Jedi mission and, and vision and values, one of cooperation, collaboration, and um, how, how, how is it evolving? Well, um, we, we've drawn in collectively more and more impressive people from all over the world, not only women. I'm glad to say we love men too, Stan, and I very much hope we'll, we'll hear more of your voice um, on that network soon. And in terms of h- how I would advise uh, people to set up or support such networks i would just say well there's so many different um ways now to do this for instance clubhouse which is all the rage um so if whatever your passion is um you know you you can create your own room and build your own network and you'll find start and and they will come you know and the more passionate you are about something the the more followers and and participants and collaborators you'll you'll have probably that's my experience
1: You know, it's so true. Clubhouse has really changed the game for how people are communicating. Um, I was on a Clubhouse just prior to this conversation focused on the global goals and the ability to get close to people in a way um, on Clubhouse is, I've heard a lot of people talking about how it's collapsing networks and making everyone almost feel one or two degrees closer. This is also maybe true on the investment side. So for Marika and Charmaine, I'm curious, how are these networks affecting your deal flow as investors? Maybe we'll go to Marika first.
3: Well, you know, one of the issues with the the lack of capital being directed to female entrepreneurs are, the the, first of all, the lack of female GPs uh, makes a lot of female entrepreneurs shy away from turning to uh, investors. Uh, And the fact that that we are female investors looking for uh, opportunities we we have without even starting to launch we haven't even started a platform we get decks and being approached by fantastic entrepreneur female entrepreneurs with really interesting business opportunities daily so we think that you know opening up that channel where they feel a little bit more connected and, and comfortable to approaching uh, a more diverse set of investors is has is, is been important
4: yeah and, and just to add on to that i think the the Bumble IPO helped us a lot as well with with the whole branding around you know we women can do it too uh you know that there is this um sense of uh, achievement uh, as, as as a group putting in more sort of um uh, uh, empowerment in, in women there are already a lot of women in tech i think a lot of them could probably just be a bit more quiet a bit more um so in in their ways of fundraising but as we see now especially uh this year with I mean not, not only the Me Too movement, but the whole diversity discussion and quality discussion around the world uh, across various topics has just helped um you know women step up and 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 as such, you know, helped us in deal flow uh, in the investment world.
3: Yeah, I think just to add a little bit, it's about visibility and, and seeing role models. We were we just did an exercise of said let's list the 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 top um unicorns, the companies, tech companies around the globe valued over a billion, who has at least one woman entrepreneur. And I realized from the list we found, it was a long list. And most of the names I never heard, the women. So it's also about making them them visible, just being heard, showcasing, uh, which I think is a very important part of the network.
1: I think that's so true. And we've seen that a little bit with our list of the 50 women in tech, uh, 50 leadership women, as well as our top women in climate. And in doing those and publishing those listings over the last couple of years, which Jess, who's on our operations team, has has led the research into that. I was surprised how many women I had never heard of or that I didn't know who were in these really, really important roles. And for whatever reason, just didn't have the same level of visibility um, that men have had. So it is, I think, very, very important. You know, on the STEM front, I think this extends beyond leadership all the way through STEM. So, Kareen, can you... Look at a little bit at the STEM issue. I know that you're working so much on um, amplifying women in tech, and I'm curious, like, what are you doing to identify and support women in STEM? You you mentioned those organizations at the top of the episode. Tell us a little bit more about those.
2: Well, uh, I think it's really, really funny that you that Marika is talking about the role models because this is the exact reason why we founded this movement in 2018. And actually, we grew exponentially during the pandemic. So we had maybe 12,000 women following us last year, March. And now we have over 50,000 in, like, I think, 70 countries. And, you know, we were supposed to have a summit in May of 50 people in Paris. And we had to take it online in six weeks' time. And we end up having 25,000 people, you know, women and men actually tuning in. And this movement, I mean, it's truly global and I remember because I did the launch in the Netherlands in Amsterdam in June of 2019. And the main question we asked the audience was like, what can we do for you? What is it that you are that you are in need of? And all the women said we need new role models. But we would like to hear stories from women who who are actually close to home. Not always the ones who are far away, but the ones closer to home. And we would like you to help us be a role model too. We would like for you to help us, you know, get access to funding because, I mean, that's the other thing that I know from the TEDx TEDxMSA Women's Startup Award that I also organized five years is that women were always in the very difficult position, you know, of getting money. And what I've noticed also within the STEM, I mean, uh, as you know, we organized a huge event last week in the UAE. That's actually, it's incredible what's happening there, both on the investor side, but also on leadership and tech. And you saw that so many women had amazing ideas and that the topics that they are actually working on in their company are usually also close to home. So women really want to like work, they actually want to use STEM or like technology to actually um, find a solution for something close to home, something close to the heart. And I think exactly what, what you said, Charmaine, I think it was a huge push to the whole world that Bumble you know, was was taken public and that she's only 31 years old. And also if you look that she actually, I think she had a lawsuit against one of her former colleagues or bosses at Tinder, you know, I mean, she really broke down all these glass houses that no no other girl has done. And, you know, I mean, I, and I think there was now an article on LinkedIn shared that, you know, there are like eight young women like within the next two years who are thinking of actually taking their company public and all of them are actually tech related. So I think that's what our movement is doing. We're actually changing the face of technology. That
1: is absolutely so fascinating. Charmaine, you're a mathematician and is the mathematics and STEM, right? So yeah. I'm curious, like, how are you finding it in, in that particular sector uh, in terms of bringing up this next generation of talent?
4: Well, yeah, so I was trained in uh, the statistics side of, of mathematics and a lot of the application in, in finance. And I think there isn't a lack of women in, in finance and uh, the application of math and finance in general. And I think it's a systemic issue uh, in general, and there is this, uh, you know, um, voice club issue, especially with the finance industry and also the insurance industry um, that where where Marika and I are in. But you know what we're trying to do here is is, is just increase the platforms or increase in, uh, the the voice the voices that are being heard are for women, and um, even even our past, uh, our previous um, company in our role, we had a male boss who was very adamant to having you know, half of the workforce or half of the team, including senior management team, to have female in, in, in there. And, and I think, you know, everyone is trained in math or everyone is trained as an engineer and trained in tech, but it is, you, you, it, there is a need to, to make that statement up front and, and to give that support um, in, in the whole system so that we can increase the, the visibility, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is really important. I think that really highlights this idea that this isn't just something that women need to be working on. This is actually something that everybody needs to be working on. So the guys need to be doing their part as well. You know, I'm curious, maybe Sophia, for this, for this next question, we've seen actually, unfortunately, a, a slide backward uh, against the sustainable development goals in terms of many aspects of equality that we were working on, whether it's essentially reducing the income inequality gap, to some extent, the gap between men and women in the developing world. And, you know, this idea of STEM as an equalizer, a leg up is really important. However, we've had a really hard year because of the pandemic and all of its ensuing and resulting outcomes I'm curious, like, what are you seeing in terms of your work on bringing these investments around STEM into other parts of the world where perhaps these gaps are even larger? Do you have a a thought about what our strategy should be there?
0: Um, I do. I absolutely do. You're quite right to say that there has been um, certainly a few backwards steps when it comes to some of the impact goals that we were moving towards, such as, for instance, a little bit more parity in terms of access to finance for female founders. A staggeringly low 2.3% of venture capital and private equity funding globally goes to female teams, even though when funded, female-led businesses outperform male-led businesses. And that figure is down from an already shockingly low 3%. And and that reduction, which takes us a few years back, is a direct consequence of the pandemic. And of course, we've seen um, many people lose their jobs, people of colour, Latino women in America, etc. But particularly women disproportionately have lost their jobs during the pandemic um and of course it's it's partly because of the uh, responsibilities of elder and child care but it's for many other reasons too so what i'm hoping is that as we as we come out of the pandemic we're going to see renewed vigor and interest in backing women in stem related businesses and and definitely at jedi we're planning to back Female led tech enabled businesses that can deliver um, several of the sustainable development goals, including climate action, good education, health and well being, and tackling some of the poverty and inclusion issues through financial inclusion. And that means as well investing and accelerating more women in deep tech and ai helping to design our collective future with a more inclusive more female voice because i'm as i'm sure everyone listening in is aware the vast majority of ai is being programmed by spotty youths based in silicon valley you know average age 24 25 and unfortunately ai which is going to determine much of our future already has a racist and gender biased way of looking at the world. So for us, um, you know investing in women in STEM means more women in renewable energy and other climate related fields. And this will in turn lead to more and diverse ways to think about climate resilience and mitigation and in turn infuse climate investment pipelines with more qualified women. And one of the ways that JEDI is going to sort of go above and beyond investing in these businesses is that we want to ensure that the products and services of our portfolio companies of climate and tech related education and vocational training businesses, for instance, can reach women in least developed countries. And an example might be, for instance, um, one of my former colleagues from Afghanistan wrote round Robin a couple of days ago saying there are 140,000 unemployed coders in Afghanistan, some of which are uh, women, many of which are women actually. Um, and part of what we can maybe seek to do, um, fintech is one of our uh, investment verticals. So if we were to invest in a, an insure tech or a fintech company that was registered in, in Northern Europe or, or the US, as we plan to, um, perhaps the products and services of that fintech company could be deployed or engaged in places like Afghanistan, and we might be able to link them to, to workers uh, in, in those countries.
1: I mean, it's really, really quite exciting to think that there could be new ways for technology to even itself become a capability or a platform that would allow all of this under-established talent to be able to enter in. Because when I think of it as a person who runs a tech company, I'm always thinking about how difficult it is to find and to get tech talent deployed on things. And you know, I do think that this is a new world we're entering where talent, especially because of the pandemic, but talent can be more diversified uh, geographically now. And it also points a little bit, I think, to resilience, Sophia. Like we need to have better geographical resilience and we also need better like societal resilience. And that comes from taking in more diversity across um, the economic points that we can. Um, And that includes talent. And this, uh, this sounds really to me like a gap between the capability to get talent working on things, which is really a failure. Karine, what what are your thoughts on that? Like, I know you've been remote working, you've been traveling the world. You've also been spending more time in Latin America this year from your base in the Netherlands. How are you juggling those two things? And are you seeing opportunities in Latin America?
2: I see enormous opportunities here. I mean, this is where you feel where matriarchy still, you know, has like enormous power. I mean, you know, the tribes that that are in South America, I think that's also, you know, transmitted, you know, to Central America. The wonderful thing is when I was living in New York, actually, last year, uh, you were the last person I spoke to, I remember, uh, before we flew to Costa Rica. And uh, when you were about to go to Hawaii and I was thinking I was going to be here for maybe a couple of weeks and then the country closed and I ended up being here for seven months. It's been the best year of my life, to be quite honest, and I'm very grateful. And I was able to actually take a movement. I think it would would have taken us five years to get where we are now. I mean, we have ambassadors. We are now setting up funds in all these countries. Sophia, I'm dying to talk to you about Afghanistan because i love I love hearing numbers about one hundred and forty thousand coders available. I mean, this is exactly what we do. we We really try to take care of like the lifetime cycle of a girl. So we try to because it's exactly what you say. AI is the future, and when women say, oh, I have nothing with um, technology, I say to them, well, honey, wake up, because your whole life is already defined by it. They know everything about you, so it's very important that you start to understand how your life is being defined by it. And I really think it starts by really uh, making young girls and also education system and, you know, really enthusiastic for um, having young girls, you know, enter the field of STEM. And it could be anything. I mean, you know, I was voted one of the 50 most inspiring women in the Netherlands 2019 for what I was doing for like technology, but I was not even actually active in technology which just I was actually changing the face of technology and I think that's exactly what needs to happen that's why we need to have these new role models and I think women helping each other and I think technology you know when we had the the event in the Netherlands we had 300 women there maybe 15 of them were Dutch all of them spoke different languages so English of course is a is international language but these women move around the globe easily because they all speak the same coding language so I think once you step into that world, the world is your oyster. And definitely, Sophia, what you said about women were hit the hardest. We are actually now at the level of 1988, when I look at the figures. McKinsey just did a research, and Harvard Business Review as well. Women, you know, a lot of jobs were lost for that women were doing, and they were they were taking care of the children. They were working from home, and we have tried to like bridge that gender gap with like technology. So that's why I think that's our biggest mission: gender parity and make people feel on all levels being heard. Like, for example, in the Netherlands, the CEO of Agen, you know, one of the biggest payment companies. You know what he does? When a woman announces that she's pregnant, he actually promotes her before she takes her leave of absence or her maternity leave, because he, he wants to make them feel valued already. Because after he said, you know, it's always a tough, tough decision for a woman, 35 years old, to come back into the workforce. And then at least I've done my bit. And those those are the are the kind of narratives that we try to put onto our platform. So that women know that there are other opportunities out there for them.
1: That is such a what a great idea to be promoting women as they go into maternity leave, so they have that incentive to come back on the other side. Because um, I think often the narrative is that women feel like they might be less valued coming back into the workforce after they've had children. So this idea of actually setting a carrot out there that says, "Hey, we're going to be valuing you and we're going to be looking for ways to expand your role." That's actually such a great and what a simple idea. So I'd like to pivot for a second. You know, that that to me was a very shocking number that you said that women in work has essentially been set back to 1988, Kareen. I mean, that is really something. But I wonder, can technology and the collective action that we see happening help us bounce back faster? You know, maybe Marika, as an investor, can you comment? Do you think that we're going to be able to recover this lost ground? Everybody keeps talking about the recovery from the pandemic leading to a kind of boom, because we have so many new tools at our disposal that we didn't even have a year ago, let alone five years ago, let alone in 1988. Do you think we can bounce back faster? And how how do you think we can all contribute toward that bounce back?
3: Well, I, I see this pandemic, I think you you can be on either side of the fence, but I think this has been such an opportunity for pause and reflection and reset. And I think we have such a tremendous opportunity now to to go in a different direction. And I do think that we already see from the investment community that people, investors are looking for ESG, uh, proven investment opportunities, diversity, those topics are there, we're looking for solution. And as a technologist, I do believe that the sort of the the boom in in the use of of remote training and learning that will remain with us and it open up access is access for those who have not had access in remote areas to education or to job markets and it's just hopefully I do hope that our employers when they start with when the economy takes off again there is a war for talent continuously ongoing so you're going to have to cast your your net much wider to find the talent you're looking for, and you may not need to find them in an expensive location in the big hubs anymore. You can find them, you know, really, really good people. But you need to think differently. And I think technology is there. I think it's the willing willingness. I'm hoping it's there to look at things differently once everything starts again.
1: So true, so true. And Charmaine, on that resilience front, do you have any thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think what we're seeing.
4: In this pandemic, with with a lot of the companies that we've been investing in, especially if they are in the early stages of their, their journey, there is a lot more resilience in in the founders. Um, I, I think in keeping the business alive uh, in this in this moment, um, you know, pandemic, we are we are seeing um, lower in a way lower projections. Uh, a lot of the Valuations were crazy, but at the same time, optimistic projections post the, the pandemic. So I think everyone is hopeful that once we stay you know, resilient uh, in this period of time, we will be able to bounce back. Um, there is this, this optimism in, in, in the market across industries, I believe. And, and it is the, to, to, to Barika's point around people being able to sit back and reflect what's important in their lives. Um, this is driving the the founders in a way that that we've not seen before. I think you know previously, I think founders are being uh, a lot of the founders are chasing the, the tech boom and and valuations of valuations, but now they want to build a business that's good for the world. We see a lot of impactful businesses being built, and and yeah, so that's that's the reason why I think we remain optimistic for the
1: world. So. You know, Sophia, you were talking a little bit about the sustainable development goals. And, you know, within Hub Culture, one of our big focuses has always been climate. We run a carbon backed digital currency called VEN. And we've always been very involved with things like the UN climate summits and trying to help drive forward a global plan for climate. And it's a tough battle because we're not winning. Um, the UNFCCC has projected that we need to stay under 1.5 degrees Celsius to uh, avoid the worst effects of climate change. And it looks like we're on track probably not to do that. But if you talk to people who are leaders in the climate world, they say that educating girls is one of the most important things that we can do um, to help mitigate these effects on climate, actually. I'm curious, what do you see in terms of the work you're doing Um, with the SDGs and women spilling over into the the climate agenda.
0: So um, you're absolutely right, Stan. Delivering on gender equity is key to solving the climate crisis and delivering access to good education is one way. Um, Investing in girls' education and their skills development is is probably one of the most effective climate actions you can take. I mean, after 25 plus years of experience in um, delivering education and skills development to girls and women in places like Afghanistan and and Pakistan and elsewhere. What it showed me is that for every girl a year spends in school, that significantly reduces the number of children she will have. And that of course has an exponential impact on, on, on our limited resources. In fact, Girl Child Education is ranked as the sixth most impactful climate action on Project Drawdown's list of 80 actions. So you're right, access to education is vital. EdTech is one of our four verticals um, and definitely promoting um, access to high quality education is something that this digital revolution can do very effectively. So we're definitely gonna work to make sure that the products and services of the portfolio company that we're going to be investing in will reach women in least developed countries. Um, But in terms of your other question, I reckon we have uh, 10 years now to prevent the most catastrophic effects of runaway climate change. And in fact, the UN is urging for the 2020s this decade to be the decade of action if we're to curb the worst effects of climate change, achieve the sustainable development goals and secure a return to post-COVID prosperity, human flourishing and the sustainability of the living planet. So I think that for me, um, this pandemic is is a sort of prequel to much worse things to come, something that we're not going to be able to trade our way out of. It's a huge wake up call. And I think that every single one of us who has the ability, the access to education, to financial resources should be deploying our our networks and whatever we have um, to attempt to reset the course towards the United Nations Sustainable Development
1: Goals. You know, it's really sad because the the SDGs have been set back a lot over the last year. But I think there are really bright rays of hope because I think if anything, it's made everyone realize what's at stake over the last year and how fragile it all is. I mean, I don't think any of us thought that our institutions, our economy, our way of life was as fragile as it's turned out to be. And this idea, I think it comes back to what Charmaine was saying about resilience a minute ago, But we have got to start making our society more resilient. And it seems like that will never, ever happen if we leave half of our society behind by not working on these issues of gender equality. So it it has really become, uh, I think, a wake up for everyone that we're all in this together and we're not going to make it if we don't. Um, start acting like we're all in this together. You know, this is a special episode for us for International Women's Day. I've been amazed at how much March 8th has become like a pivotal date in the calendar of a year. You know, it's something that everyone looks forward to. It's almost impossible to get anyone's attention because there are so many things happening on March 8th. So I'm really grateful that we were able to get your attention on this lead up. Um, to IWD, but I'd but like us to kind of wrap up with a wish from all of you. What's your wish for International Women's Day this year? Um, let's start with Marika.
3: Well, I mean, we have a team wish, of course, that we we are off with a good. Um, we, we we intend to very soon launch our platform, our uh, a platform that will improve the access to capital to great female entrepreneurs, uh, which is not happening exactly on that day, but but in the next couple of weeks and months is where we are that's my wish
1: Karine.
2: well i think that my message to everybody is i mean i know it is a no-brainer but it is our payoff that when women rise men rise too and then we all rise and i think i'm hoping for every woman starting march 8th that they i hope that they connected with something during this last year that they realized that means a lot to them and that they really want to spend much more time on that because i think it was a pause this year. I used this year for myself to sort of re-calibrate like, and connect with like, old passions and create new passions. Women, we are so resilient. I think women are gonna bring the world back on track and we are gonna reach those development goals by 2030.
1: Charmaine? Well,
4: my, my wish and my message to everyone especially just it's on International Women's Day, it's just celebrate your your successes, no matter how small or how big, just just celebrate it. And, you know, celebrate it in your communities, in your families. At the end of the day, you know, we are all part of this, you know, communities. And in this pandemic, we are realizing how important communities are and and, and just celebrate it.
1: And Sophia?
0: I agree with um, all the ladies, actually. I think that, um, you know, the feminine qualities of collaboration, networking, cooperation and so on have, have been shown to be so important in the last year when so many people have been isolated. And I think that if the planet is to have a future, a live, if there's to be a, limit, a living planet with humans running around on it, then we really have to engage not just 50 percent, but 51 percent of the population. And, uh, you know, there are so many utterly brilliant female scientists technologists, engineers, mathematicians. um, The the three major vaccines that have been developed, um, Moderna, Pfizer and AstraZeneca, were all developed by female scientists. And what's more, not necessarily all white, upper class, Harvard educated female scientists. An African-American lady developed the Moderna one, a, a Turkish Muslim lady developed the Pfizer one out of Germany. And uh, so I, what I say is let's celebrate the existing brilliance of women. Let's encourage women to find their voices and um, let's all rise together. Karine, I agree with you. We love men and we're stronger together.
2: And we love Stan.
1: <laughs> well, and I love all of you. You know, that is amazing. I don't know why that's not being talked about more, Sophia, that, that these women played such a pivotal role in essentially helping to save so many lives and to restart the planet. Do you have any more information about who these women are so so we can kind of be able to highlight that?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll probably get the pronunciation of their names um, slightly wrong. But Dr. Oziem Tureci is the Muslim Turkish-born immigrant to Germany who developed the Pfizer vaccine. Dr. Kizmekia Corbett is the African-American scientist who developed the Moderna mRNA vaccine. And Professor Sarah Gilbert is the British scientist who designed the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine.
1: I think it's amazing that we don't know these names as household names, and they should be household names. So thank you for bringing that to the surface.
0: My pleasure. I also have some stats on the decrease in funding for uh, female-led healthcare businesses. So politically, Europe is evolving. There are five EU governments now led by women. Estonia is led by two women as president and prime minister. But opportunities for strong and ambitious women are not yet reflected in private equity and venture capital on either side of the Atlantic. For instance, in 2020, Healthcare venture fundraising reached $17 billion, which was a 57% increase on 2019. But overall funding for female-founded startups in healthcare globally decreased by 27%. And while 42% of digital health startups in 2020 had female founders, women digital health founders were much, much less likely to be venture-backed. And the numbers, of course, are far worse for Black, Indigenous, and women of color, even though women and women of color are hitting it out of the ballpark in health and in other sectors.
1: So Sophia, I wonder, do you have any thoughts about how we solve for that? I mean, it's, all, it's like a, an exponential gap followed by another exponential gap.
0: I, I think it's partly about investing in women. I'd like to see more regular portfolio managers consider a gender lens. When they're selecting their portfolio companies, after all, when women get the opportunities they deserve, the whole world is better off. But I also think that it's not just about sort of man bashing men with apparent um, biases, conscious or otherwise. I think many women need to develop their own voices. you know why aren't these women bringing um, up the Sunday Times and demanding to be profiled? I mean you know, uh, if they were men, they would have a whole PR team behind them. So I think that the women need to develop their sort of courage and they need to develop their profiles. Women need to get over their fear of public speaking. We need to put ourselves out there and we need to put ourselves forward as well.
1: As we kind of wrap up here, I'd love us to um, be able to share with our listeners how, they can get involved with a group like Jedi. I know that it's a pretty elite group within the Jedi community, but you also talked about these other organizations, Karine, um, Sophia. How do you envision Jedi moving forward in the next year, and how can people support and um, begin to help your work?
0: Well, um, once we're up and running uh, and formally registered and regulated, uh, we're going to be in a position to deploy capital. So we would invite brilliant female founders to approach us eventually through our website, which needs to be developed. Uh, We're going to start off by giving a speaking platform to um, Jedi women and we're kicking off with International Women's Day on Monday with the founder of fashion PR, Lynn Franks, who is an amazing gender warrior and pioneer in this space. Um, So I guess listening into Clubhouse, if you're a member of Clubhouse, would be one way. And then, you know, at some point it may be possible to participate um, in in more than one way. And and, and I have to be a bit um, obscure about that at the moment. Uh, But when the time is right, um, I think all all of us individually can be be connected to through LinkedIn. So if there's someone here listening to your podcast who doesn't know us, uh, I'm sure we'd be delighted to to uh, be reached out to and communicate on LinkedIn. And uh, when the time is right, we'll make an announcement and it'll be all hands on deck.
1: Well, we'll be standing by for that. Our hat off to you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Chronicles. For those of you listening, you can find more discussions around all sorts of topics wherever you get your podcasts, but especially iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and SoundCloud. Just look for The Hub Culture Chronicles. Thank you for joining us, ladies. Happy International Women's Day. La 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 la.